If you can turn that guilt into regret, I wish that I had had more training. I wish that somebody had been able to tell me. I wish that I could have asked. I wish she could have come. I, I wish. It's, it's regret works better than the guilt. Hi, I'm Bobby, a certified caregiving consultant and educator. I work with family caregivers to help them address the often difficult and challenging issues that come with a dementia diagnosis. And I'm her husband, Mike, and I'm a certified caregiver advocate and a certified music therapist. And this is Roger That, the podcast dedicated to guiding you through the heavy haze of dementia. Here we focus on the caregiver, offer some practical insights, and share some emotional support. And maybe, just maybe, we'll share a laugh or two, because we all know laughter is the best medicine. It absolutely is, and sometimes it's highlighted with a wee bit of Irish whiskey. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we've talked a number of times of how music can and does play an important role in the lives of dementia patients. We've also talked about other forms of the arts, like drawing, painting, dancing, and how they can play a part in the quality of life of the dementia patient. Yes, absolutely. Anything that we can do to enhance the day-to-day lives of caregivers and those who are in their care, who don't want to just sit, sit and watch television all day, um, as your dad say, can't loaf all the time, um, and, and the more creative we can be. Right. That brings us to today's guest, who is a retired psychologist and marriage and family therapist, who is the caregiver for his stroke-disabled wife for 15 years. He also helped take care of his father, who had Parkinson's, and his mother, who had Alzheimer's. In addition, he has been a professional musician since his high school days, playing a variety of jazz and bluegrass bands, as well as writing songs. He and his wife, Linda, are advocates for increased funding for research on Alzheimer's and related dementias and regularly speak at conferences, churches, and advocacy groups on topics relating to dementia and caregiving. Please welcome to Roger That, Mr. Don Wendorf. Don, thank you so much for joining us today. I frequently start us off by asking our guests to talk about their personal caregiving experiences. Based on the introduction I just did, you are extremely able to talk about that, having dealt with three different types of illnesses that needed care. Well, my parents were in a senior living facility and started off in independent living and then went you know, down the levels, uh, assisted living and, and eventually memory care for my mom. My father had Parkinson's, and it mostly affect his, affected his mobility and his coordination and that kind of stuff. He had a little bit of dementia with that. He couldn't, uh, couldn't keep up with his finances anymore, and so he you know, asked me to do all that. Mom had uh, Alzheimer's and eventually ended up in the memory care unit pretty much. Uh, she actually knew most of us. She remembered most of us. Up to the last year, really six months uh, of her life, she remembered me until just a couple of months before she died. I, I'm a, a, an identical twin, and she forgot Bob six months before she got forgot me. Um, and twins are very competitive, so... Yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> now we know which one was mom's favorite, right? I, I figure I won. <laughs> And then uh, my late wife, Susan, was first diagnosed with Alzheimer's, and that was a, a good diagnosis based on, 
you know, the million dollar workup and the, all the scans that were available at the time and a whole day of neuropsych testing and, you know, a whole bunch of stuff. It, it, it very much looked like Alzheimer's. And so for about five years, uh, we treated it and regarded it as Alzheimer's. As it turned out, hers was vascular and mm-hmm. it was related to a whole lot of mini and then eventually not so many and, you know, maxi stroke kind of things that were related to antiphospholipid antibody syndrome. Well, you're going to have to tell us what that is. <laughs> yeah, because I can't even spell it to look it up. So <laughs> I just made it up on the on the spot. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's it's a sort of a lupus factor kind of a thing. It's an autoimmune kind of a deal where your your body misinterprets phospholipids that naturally occur on cell membranes as foreign invaders and, and attacks them. But you end up with clotting. Mm. And so she had uh, all these strokes. So a lot of hers was uh, physical kind of stuff. Eventually, she got to where she couldn't do anything much for herself. Her memory actually got slightly better uh, from originally because, you know, you get some recovery with, with strokes just naturally. Um so her memory was usable, although we went through the same kind of litany every day, uh, just this list several times a day. We'd go through, um, how old are you? How old am I? And, of course, the crucial question, how old is Willie Nelson? <laughs> <laughs> the important things in life. No, she was not a Willie Nelson fan. She, she was the Willie Nelson uh, <laughs> and, you know, jumping ahead to the music. But she had uh, some dementia in terms of, of memory loss and a lot in terms of per- perceptions, ability to perceive things. It, it was it was funny. You know, it just depends on which neurons are, are affected as to what kind of things you get. And some of the things are, are a little strange, but uh, her, her judgment was, was very impaired. And now I, I have to ask, so, so you're a retired psychologist, right? Right. Dealing with the study of psychology and the brain and a family counselor, did, did that help you in any way deal with the situations as they arose with the caregiving? It gave me a whole lot of theories and insight into why I was messing up so much, <laughs> but then I still messed up so much because... You know, when a shrink goes home, he's on the same turf everybody else is, and and you got your same feelings and your same blind spots, and uh, just like everybody else. So, yeah, I guess it helped some. You know that that is comparative to people who are working in the care facilities, and and they're they're dealing with with people um, with a dementia of some sort every day, and they're really good at it in in their job. But then when it becomes a family member and they become the family caregiver, it's a whole different situation, a whole different perception. If you're dealing with somebody who's come in as, as a patient in a care home, that's where you meet them and that's where you see them. If it's your spouse or your parent, you knew them before this and they look the same. Right. But their behavior is so different, and there's this disconnect in our brain between what we knew and what we're seeing now, and we can't understand why. We may know they're sick. I hear very often from caregivers, I know it's the disease, but (laughs) it's driving me crazy. I know it's the disease, but what the heck do I do? So knowing it's the disease doesn't make it easy. <laughs> no, it, it doesn't. Um, and, you know, I used to get 
angry at Susan for being disabled. Mm -hmm. You know, that makes no sense. Like she chose it. I mean, it's not her fault. She didn't want to be disabled any more than I wanted her to be disabled. But you're so stressed. There's so much you have to think of. There's so much that you have to do. You keep hoping that something is going to make it kind of like it used to be and, and like you want it to be now. Uh, and you got all of the anxiety about where are we going and what's going to happen next and how am I going to be able to cope with it and I'm not doing very well now. And then you got all the stuff about, and I feel so bad about how I handled this this morning and I, you know, fussed at her and I uh, went around the house cussing. Um, I once threw a temper tantrum, an absolute classic two-year-old temper tantrum where I threw pillows around the living room. I threw, I, you know, just screamed, cussing, throwing pillows. I threw pillows because I had about 10 musical instruments lined up around. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't want to break one of them. Yeah. Uh, then you have to deal with how stupid you just felt and, and how you lost control and, and, yeah, you got all the same stuff everybody else got to deal with. I am so glad that you shared that, that you threw that tantrum, because so many caregivers, it, as I did in, in that moment, thought I was the only one. And I questioned myself. I said to Mike one time, I'm not the person I thought I was. Right. And he said, who who is that? I said, a caring person, somebody that understands that this man is sick. I don't, I don't know who this person is who's reacting this way. And his response was, you're a human being. <laughs> well, that's exactly it. And and yet, at, you know, at the same time, there are a lot of people that are kind of working against you there because they're saying, oh, you're my hero and exactly. you're a superhero and you're a saint and, <laughs> and you're so inspirational and that's a lot to live up to. And, yeah. and in fact, I advise people, do not try. Don't let people put you up on a pedestal and, and then drive yourself to being the perfect saint or, or, or hero. Well, I have two takes on that. My, my response to that was, I'm no saint, and Roger would have been the first one to agree with me. <laughs> <laughs> and the other one is, I think by putting that on us, it's a way to say we must be somehow different from they and it kind of excuses them for not doing it because they're not as saintly as we are. Not, not understanding that we are they. We are just the same as they are. Exactly. Yeah. I hadn't thought of it in those terms. It's, it's like, well, you're perfect and you're, the, you're absolutely the best caregiver in the world, especially for your loved one here. So uh, I'll see you. I'm going on a picnic. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Now, it's my understanding you're a big proponent of person-centered care. Right. Key word, and if you take away nothing from our discussion, take away the word person. Uh, I mean, the foundation of this approach is saying the person, the essence, the core, the uh, insides, the, uh, the soul, if you want to put it in religious terms, of that person is still there, is still in there. You may not see it very much. You may not know how to access it. You may not know how to connect with it. But the idea is that it is there and you can learn different ways of making some connection and having some access. But that person is still a person. So the, the person that you always knew, the person, your loved one, why you loved them in the first place, still in there. 
may be covered up with a whole lot of limitations and disabilities, but you're focusing on the person and remembering who that person was. I wrote a song for Susan that used a, a kind of a metaphor to describe the core of who she was, you know, what I loved about her in the first place, and I would use that to remind myself. But if this person is a person, then what do we know about being a person? Well, gosh, I'm a person. Uh, I have needs. I have feelings. I have ideas. I have wishes. I have all kinds of stuff. Well, this person is a person too. So we helped edit a book about uh, dementia-friendly worship. Well, that's based on the idea that that person still has spiritual needs. And, and they can be addressed if you come at it in the right sort of way. You know, everybody wants to be known and recognized and cared for as a person, as a human being. Uh, so do people who are living with dementia. So if you apply that to your temper tantrum, <laughs> oh boy, we want to and and, and, and tantrums in children. It's what that temper tantrum is trying to say about that person in that moment. You're frustrated. You're afraid. Um, you Anxiety. know, and dealing with somebody with dementia, it could be that they're cold or they're hot or they're wet or they're hungry. But to temper down that that tantrum or temper down that behavior that you're trying to deal with in the moment, the way to solve that is to see them as a person and what they're trying to tell you. Yeah, I mean, it takes us into the whole idea of, of empathy. Not just sympathy, which is saying, okay, this person is having a hard time. I feel sorry for them. I feel compassion for them. Empathy is being able to get inside their skin and look out at the world through their eyes and say, from their perspective, from their point of view, from their experience, in their current reality as they're understanding it, in their perception of things, what's going on? Well, then some of this behavior that has been so difficult to deal with that you labeled as uh, obnoxious or resistant or oppositional or delusional or whatever may make a little bit more sense and may give you a whole lot of more options uh, as to how you want to respond. And, and the thing is, and what we lose sight of, is behavior on their part is communication. Yes. They're not able to communicate verbally with words and sentences. They're communicating out of behavior, not different than that one-and-a-half-year-old. <laughs> right. Behavior is communication. And yeah. We've said a number of times here, and also when we speak, they can't come to where you are. You have to be able to go where they are, in their world, in their time and place, and understand what their behavior is meaning. And it makes it so much easier to deal with and to overcome. Yeah, if you can get to that place. Right. And, and then the trick is, how do you get to that place? Because just everyday communication between people not living with some kind of dementia. Yeah, Michael. Uh, it gets, gets, <laughs> gets screwed up. And, <laughs> yeah, yeah, Mike, come on. Uh, it gets messed up and we, we miscommunicate, we misunderstand, we misinterpret. We do. I mean, that's what I made my living off of for 45 years. <laughs> yeah, and since we've, we've known each other for almost 40 years, been married for going on 35 years, there's been a lot of, that's not what I meant. 
yeah. When I yeah. said that going on, so. Yeah, and, and, and you've got the communication, I'm assuming you have the communication skills to work some of those things out. Yeah, but that's why we're still married. But how do you get married. into that reality? Because <laughs> remember, like Mike said, it, it, it's a communication, and we take things as a communication, including nonverbal things right. without being aware, or, oh, this is a communication, wonder what it means. I mean, we just respond as if we know what it means. Uh, but we may be missing the point entirely. Um, for example, when uh, I would have to get Susan up to walk her someplace, you know, that was a massive endeavor because she, she, once she's on her feet, she could, like I said earlier, she could stand, she could do s- simple walking if I left foot, right foot, left foot, you know, this kind of stuff. So when I would say, okay, it's time to get up, we got to go, you know, for the bath or whatever it is. To, um, she would say, now? Um, or, or why? Or uh, when I would try and lift her, it, it would feel like she'd just kind of go limp or, or she would go rigid, which was just as bad. And she wasn't putting out any effort. And so, okay, all of that is behavior I took as communicating oppositional right. behavior or resistance on her part. Um, finally, one time when I was not in the middle of being stressed and frustrated and angry at her for being so resistant, I was able to ask her, you know, when we do this, do you, why, do you, why do you say that? And why do you do this? And why, why don't you? And she says, because I'm scared. Mm. Yeah. Everything I do all day long, I'm scared. I'm afraid I'm going to fall. I'm afraid I'm going to hurt you. You know, I'm scared every single thing I do. Well, boy, did that open up a whole world Ooh, yeah. of stuff for me. Yeah. Fear is a big part of their life. And and I had to go back to, this is where that, that song was helpful, or for people to capture some sort of image for themselves, maybe in an artistic way, of who that person is. Because, you know, I had to review all of those. that We'd been married over 40 years at that point. Um, is she usually resistant and oppositional is to you or to any well to me yeah because someone i'd be an idiot but (laughs) (laughs) is that who this person is no yeah you know she didn't act that way so what's the deal and then of course i had to feel bad about having been so harsh and all that kind of stuff right the the caregiver guilt the guilt Yes. yes it's real it's very very real it's it's very real, you know. Over the years, uh, now since Susan passed, and and I've had you know more time on it and stuff, I don't, I don't feel guilt so much anymore as just regret yeah. that I didn't understand sooner or or whatever. But you know, or that I was in denial. But and then you can beat yourself up about being in denial. But if you can turn that guilt into regret, I wish that. I had had more training. I wish that somebody had been able to tell me. I wish that I could have asked. I wish she could have come. I, I wish. It's, it's Regrets works better than the guilt. Absolutely. And I tell people, if you're doing this, which is a long time commitment, you know, years of many, you know, we had Mike's dad with us for seven years. Yeah. A lot of people take care of somebody for much longer than that. You're not going to do it perfect, which is why I am known as the imperfect caregiver. And there's going to be good days and bad days, and 
Human beings are so good at assigning responsibility for things that they have no control over that we are going to feel guilt. And telling us not to feel guilt isn't going to take it away. And we want to have control. We want, you know, if I could have controlled that situation better, I would have loved that. Yeah, I I tell people, go ahead, feel the guilt for five minutes, 10 minutes, and then go on and do better the next day, which is what we're doing throughout this process. And then what you just said about turning it into regret, that's another step in that process that I'm going to be sharing with people. Yeah, and that takes some work. That takes a while. It's so easy to see somebody who is living with dementia and to see what's not there anymore, what's been lost, what kind of limitations, disabilities they have. You're, you're running right into those all day long. Okay, that's easy. What you got to learn to do is focus on what that person can still do and nurture those areas of competency. They want to be competent. Everybody wants to be competent and wants to be known to be able to do things. And, uh, you know, Linda and I know so many people who are living with dementia and we know people, you know, some of the the same people who travel around the country giving talks, Mm -hmm. who write books and articles, who even travel by themselves, who kayak, who sing in bands, who play instruments, who who do all kinds of amazing things. It doesn't mean that they don't have the limitations and they run into theirs just like everybody else runs into, into their limitations. But focus on what people can still do and on things that you can do that will help a person be more competent and, and to, to uh, play to their strengths, play to their abilities, play to what they still can do. Uh, one of the beautiful things about the expressive arts is that very thing that if they enable people to do things that would be difficult to do, at least at that level, without arts. Yes, I would always make sure that Mike had um, drumsticks nearby. Yes. Because drummers drum on everything. It, de- it doesn't have to be at the drum set. Nope. Tell me about it. <laughs> nope, nope, every, nope. I can I can get 35 sounds out of any chair. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah. And steering wheels, steering wheels and dashboards are fantastic. Well, that's a whole drum set Particularly in for itself. Latin jazz. They're just great for Latin jazz. Dawn, it's been great having you on the show. Um, certainly appreciate you coming on and providing some insights. I've learned a lot and, well, I know our listeners have learned a lot. And I appreciate so much what you're doing. Again, thank you so much for being with us. And to talking to us and our listeners about person-centered care and what that means and focusing on what people can do. Mike, your dad was a wonderful gardener. We got some wonderful tomatoes because he, you know, grew up on that farm in Italy and was happy to share that skill with us. Yes, indeed. Because no matter where we are in our cognitive abilities, we want to be seen as who we are and we want to feel safe, loved, and useful. Yes. I remember he used to say, can't loaf all the time. I need to do something. I need to do something. Yes. He very much wanted to be a helper and yes, a teacher. Indeed. And, he, and he did it. You can find more information about Don on our show website at rogerthat.show. This has been Roger That, and I'm Bobby. And I'm Mike. And we're dedicated to guiding you through the heavy haze of dementia. So please subscribe to the show. Go to iTunes, post a review. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter. If you have a question or issue you'd like for us to address, 
please post on the Roger That Facebook page. To find out more about us, head over to rogerthat.show. That's Roger, R-O-D-G-E-R, that dot show. Roger That is produced by Missing Link, a media podcast company dedicated to connecting people to intelligent, engaging, and informative content. Also in the Missing Link lineup of podcasts is the Designated Drinker Show, the podcast raising the bar on craft cocktails. Here you meet interesting folks, enjoy boozy banter, and learn how to make craft cocktails from a master. And if you're looking for a whole new way to enjoy theater, check out Between Acts, an immersive audio theater podcast experience. Each episode takes you on a spellbinding journey through the works of newfound playwrights, from dramas to comedies and all those in between. Find Missing Link's League of Podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcast. Please don't forget to subscribe, download, and review the shows as your review helps our show reach new audiences. To find out more about Missing Link, visit missinglink.company.